What has God gifted you to do? What has God put in your heart? He's given you a heart. He's given you something that you are passionate about. The question is, what is it? I believe that everyone is gifted by God in a certain area, in certain ways, specifically certain areas for ministry, for serving, for serving him, for serving others. God gifts you so that you can use those gifts for his purpose. He's gifted you so that you can be used in his kingdom. And those are important points right there because his purpose and his kingdom are everlasting. Amen? And so to, be, to realize that you've been gifted for his purpose and for his kingdom is just kind of an enormous thought, really, to think about it. Not only has he gifted you, but he wants you to use those gifts and he wants you to be faithful to him in using your gifts. I want to read an interesting proverb here, Proverbs chapter 2, verse 8. I'll have it on the screen. It says this, For he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. You know, God wants us to be faithful and he wants us to be involved in bringing his justice because ultimately, as I just said before we started the message, I, we're headed towards that ultimate moment of justice where, where everything will be made right, right? We're heading back to the Garden of Eden. It started out right, something went wrong, God entered time through man and he's gonna make it all right again. We're heading back to that very place. And in the meantime, God has called us to use our gifts for him, to be faithful in that. And when we do that, we're actively involved in bringing about the justice of God. And so God, he guards the course of the just and he protects the way of his faithful ones. The first thing you need to do in using your gift for the purpose and kingdom of God is to recognize and discover what it is that God has gifted you to do. And so this takes some thinking, it, it takes some uh, sitting down, taking some inventory of your life um, and the things that God has done in your life, both just in uh, perhaps maybe ways that you were raised educations that you received, and special giftings that God has placed in your life. And all that kind of, I believe, kind of, kind of comes together in such a way that God gives you a, a specific heart for something. He, he puts something in your heart. The second thing that you need to do is to begin to use that gift, to begin to actively be involved in stretching out to use that gift that God's given you for his purpose, for his kingdom. You should begin to use your gift even at the smallest levels. And, uh, you know, because A, you have to start somewhere, right? And God wants you to take, sometimes people never get started on the path of using their gift for his purpose in their kingdom because they feel like, well, maybe I got to do this or that or this or this big thing. No, God wants you to simply just begin. And maybe it's baby steps at the beginning. Maybe it's just the smallest little thing, but God will begin to not only honor that, but, but through your faithfulness, he will bring about 
bigger and bigger things. So he, he, will, he will take what you give him and he'll multiply it. And this is what God does. I mean, we don't even have time to go through all the examples of God taking the little small thing and turning it into a great big thing, right? I'm reminded of the little lunch that the little boy had that ended up feeding a multitude, amen? So God can take something small and turn it into something great. God will use you and he will grow you and he, will, he can bring you to, to, to be able to do things, to be involved with things, to be able to minister to people in ways that maybe you might not even be able to think about right now. The problem today is that not enough Christians want to use their gifts that God has given them. And if they do want to use them, they don't want to use them in those small ways. I've been involved in ministry for 25 years and I've seen a lot. And I've had many, many people down through the years that have come to me and they've wanted a ministry. <laughs> Literally, they've wanted a ministry. And, and they're looking on and what happens is people look on at other people that are doing the ministry and they say to themselves, well, I want that ministry. I want to be able to do what he's doing. And perhaps God is using that person as an example to you to challenge you in such, such a way that you might, you, God may have that in store for you. But you have to realize that what you're looking at right now is not where that person began to do what they did. That there was a series of small baby steps that brought them to the place where now you're looking on and saying, I want to do that. And that's great. But you've got to be willing to take the baby step first. You've got to be willing to step out in the small thing. And so... We need to be challenged in that particular area. Uh, sometimes people maybe have an idea for a ministry, and I've talked to people with this problem too. They've got this, uh, this idea, and it's so abstract. It's such an abstract concept that it's like you're wondering like how to counsel them because at some point that abstract idea has to be a practical thing that can be actually done in the real world. Amen. <laughs> and, and I'm thankful that God is abstract. I mean, he's, he's, the, he's abstract. Amen. But he's also very practical. You know, God fed people and then he preached to them too. So, you know, um, so these, these are all important things. And that we need to realize. Now, we're talking about Joseph in Genesis. And Joseph was a person that was gifted by God. And he was also a person that God could use no matter what, no matter where he was, no matter of his geography, no matter of his position, no matter of how small it was, God could use him. And we know the story, if you know the story of Joseph, that God uses him in the small thing and brings him to the heights of being used as second in command of all of Egypt. And so it's an incredible person that we're looking at who was gifted by God. God could use him no matter what the circumstances were. The question is for us is, are we going to be that type of person? Are we going to look at the life of Joseph and say, you know what? Yeah, it sounds great to be number two in all of Egypt, but can you serve in the dungeon? That's the question. And so let's look at this in chapter 40 of Genesis. 
And if we are going to be used, be a person that God can use, we've got to look at a couple points here that we're going to look at in the, in the chapter. The first one, if you're taking notes, and I see some of you are, um, is this. Be faithful with the small. Be faithful with the small. So let's pick it up in chapter 40 of Genesis, verse 1. And it says this. It came to pass after these things that the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker. So he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison, the place where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them so that they were in custody for a while. If we're going to be used by God, we have to start somewhere. We've got to start where God has us, and we've got to start with the small. We've got to start with the small, and we need to be faithful with the small thing. We need to be faithful. Joseph was faithful. What we see in the life of Joseph is we see a faithful guy. We see a guy who was faithful no matter what the circumstance was. He was faithful at Potiphar's house. Remember, he was sold by his brothers into slavery. He ended up uh, being sold into the house of Potiphar as a servant. And he rose up through the ranks there and was put in charge of all the house until Potiphar's wife framed him uh, for a sexual advance that, that, that never happened, right? And so he was faithful at Potiphar's house. And now we've learned that he's, he was faithful in the prison, so much so that he was rose up through the ranks of serving within the prison. And so he was that kind of a person. God had promoted him, blessed him, and Joseph was put in charge at the prison. Now, a lot of people might, you know, you might do that and raise up through the ranks of being put in charge of the prison. You think, well, this isn't a blessing. <laughs> well, just hold on. Hold on. God's not done with you yet. Right. You know, God's got a plan. But you know what? No matter where Joseph was, he did what he needed to do. He served. He we learned in the last chapter that he was committed to what was in his hand. And there's a connection between faith and action, right? There's a connection there. Um, the apostle James put it this way in James chapter 2, verse 14. You'll see it on the screen. What does it profit, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? Now, you, you dive into that particular verse and you can open up a can of worms and a whole discussion, right? You know, theologically. But we're not going to do that tonight. I'm just going to keep it simple, simple enough to say that there's a connection between faith and works. And James's overall point in that part of the epistle is that if you indeed do have a saving faith, that that is going to propel you to act in a certain way. It's going to propel you to love in a certain way, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And it's going to propel you into action if indeed you do have 
a saving faith. So there is a connection between being this person of faith and being a person of faith in action. Let's put it that way, right? Um, And so then not only do you have the James passage, but you have a passage in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus teaches about, you know, kind of being active, right? And it's the parable of the talents, and we don't have time to read that verse, those verses, but if you want to write these verses down, it's Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30, and it would be uh, you know, maybe a good idea just to write that down, maybe read that a little bit later. But just real quick, you had this parable of the talents where guys were given these talents from this master, and, and then the master went away, and then the master came back, and they each did different things. There was a guy that you know, had uh, some talents and he, he, he doubled his amount of talents and he was, you know, what good job, great job. You know, you went out there and did it. There was another guy that he, he received a little less talents, but he nonetheless was active and, and got out there and did some things. And then there was the guy that had the one talent. And, and, and Jesus in the story, he tells, he says, look, this guy took his talent and he was went into his tent and dug a a hole in the ground and put his talent in the ground. And he he explained to the master when he returned, when he produced the talent, and he didn't multiply it, he didn't do anything with it, but here's your talent, master. And and in in the story, Jesus tells us that the guy explained to the master his rationale and that, that I was fearful of you because you were a hard uh, master and that you, you know, you're looking at this thing. And so I didn't want to do anything dumb. I didn't want to do anything, you know, I didn't want to, uh, whatever. And so I, I, I hid the talent in the ground and, you know, the, it's, it's kind of a harsh little section there where, where Jesus says that, you know, that he, he referred to him as a, a, a wicked servant, a servant that, that didn't, you know, that didn't take serious what was given to him. They didn't take that opportunity that was, that was, that was presented to him. And, 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 and he says, you know, you didn't do anything with it. You know, and and this isn't, this is a message, you know, for our nation. This is a message for our world that, that, that you've been given something into your hand and that we've got to be involved in, in taking that, whatever it is, you could be the one talent guy. You ever feel like the one talent guy? You know, there's all these five talent guys and you're looking around going, oh yeah, look at him. Sure, he's out there doing this and this and that and whatever because he's a five talent guy. I'm just a one talent guy and look, you know, I, 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 I'm trying to make, I'm trying to do something, you know? And you feel like a one talent guy. But if you're a one talent guy, you got to realize, hey, guess what? I've been given a one talent and I've been charged with, you know, Doing something with that, you know, doing something with it so that, so that it can grow and then it can multiply and that God can do something with it. And, you know, man, this is a message for our nation right now. This is a message for our young people, you know? And people are like, well, you know, there's all this talk about privilege and this. Well, he's a five, he's got five talent privilege, well, you got one talent. What are you doing with it? You doing something with it? I look at, you know, you, you want to look up the story of Christopher Gardner. Uh, they, they, they made his 
story into the movie, The Pursuit of Happiness, right? And here's a guy who basically was living in the bathroom of the BART, the Bay Area transit system in San Francisco, sleeping, and he told his son, his little boy that was with him, that it was a cave, you know, trying to make it, you know, all nice. You know, it's like that story, Life is Beautiful, and the man made the game out of the Nazis coming and, 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 and messing them up. But uh, look, he was maybe a one-talent guy, but he didn't let that stop him. He said, you know what? I'm going to do what's in front of me. I'm going to do with what's in my hand, and I'm going to do something with it. And that's what we're called to as Christians. And, you know, Joseph was that kind of guy. And he was charged with serving these guys, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker of the Pharaoh were thrown into prison. And they were thrown into and placed into the prison where Joseph was. And it says in the text there that they had offended the Pharaoh. Now, when you read that, it was like, you know, they didn't tell him a bad joke or they didn't, you know, tell him that he, you know, had a pimple on his face or something, okay? It wasn't like, you know, that type of an offense. The word there actually is the idea of, of actually sinning against, of actually meaning to do harm, wrong, or sinning against a person. There are some commentators that actually suggest the possibility that they were actually trying to kill the, the Pharaoh and that he had uncovered some type of a plot against his life. And certainly the chief butler and the chief baker could pull something like that off, right? Because these were the guys, the chief butler was in charge of handling, you know, giving the Pharaoh his wine, right? It was, a, it was his butler, his cupbearers. Here's your, here's your Chablis or whatever, you know, whatever it is. You know, and then, of course, the baker was the, the you know, his, his, his baker. And so if somebody wanted to pull something like that off, it could happen. And perhaps that was part of the story. Meanwhile, you have, let's just say both those guys were guilty, okay? If they were guilty, they were in prison because they deserved it, right? We find out that one of them does get it in the end. But here you have Joseph, He's in prison wrongfully. He doesn't even deserve to be there. But here he is, serving in the prison, doing great, rising to the top of the ranks of, of being in charge of the prison. And not only that, now he's serving and ministering to the butler and the baker who were at the right hand of, of Pharaoh um, and now in prison. He served him, verse 4. So he served them to minister, to serve. The, the idea of serving someone is the idea of ministering, the idea of, 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 of serving. The word here actually connotates the idea of the personal service rendered to an important personage, usually a ruler, and of the ministry of worship on the part of those who stand in a special relationship to God, such as priests. I think in this case, you know, you have both of those meanings because these were people that they weren't the ruler of the land, but they were they they came from the court, mm -hmm. right? But not only that, but Joseph is acting 
as a priest of God because he is a person in relationship with God and he is the one who is, make, is having a point of contact with these two guys, right? And I want to tell you tonight that you are in a similar situation. You don't know it. Maybe, maybe you do. But if you don't know it, I'm here to tell you that you're in a similar situation. And here's why. Because you're a child of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Yahweh God Almighty, and he has put you in very specific places that you are going to be able to minister to people and represent the Lord God to them and serve them with the love of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God and the justice of God. And there may be other people that are in their lives that are not able to do that, but, but because you're a daughter of the king, because you're a son of the king of kings, you are able to be that person. And that's exactly what a priest of God is. A priest in the Old Testament was someone that, well, and I always say this when I, talked about the, when I talk about the priesthood, because the first thing you learn about the priesthood, when God enter, en, entered, uh, instituted the priesthood after he brought the people out of Egypt, and there they were at Sinai, and he instituted the priesthood, the first thing you learn about being a priest, that it was first a service to the Lord. Uh, being a priest of God is first and foremost a service and ministry to the Lord. And then secondly, it's ministry to the people, to those that you're going to be ministering to, those that you're going to be coming in contact with. And here, Joseph is acting as a priest of God because he is that person that is, is going to be ministering, is ministering to them, and, and he's mediating uh, between God and man in that sense. And so he's a priest. And, and, and Christian, Christian, listen, you have that opportunity as well. Because you're talking to people and you know, or maybe you don't know, you don't know where they stand with the Lord, but you're looking at everything and you're like, ah, I don't see a whole lot of salvation here. I don't see a lot of saving faith here. And that's where you've got to realize that you could be the very person that brings the love of God, the ministry of Almighty God to them. What an amazing thing. And Joseph did not fail to realize the place that he was put in, in that prison and in the life of this butler and baker. So they were, they were in custody for a while. And perhaps they, there was an investigation going on as to exactly you know, what, what uh, was going down. And Joseph was faithful to serve them. He was faithful in the small things, in what was before him. And we've got to be able to see that too. A lot of times I think, and, and, and I confess, right? Because I'm right in, the, in this whole thing with you too. Sometimes we miss the opportunity because it's small. <laughs> and we, we miss seeing it. We miss seeing what it is because maybe we're looking, well, God's going to do a big thing over here. And a lot of times it's those small things that become those catalysts of big things. And we're going to see that this small ministry ends up being a catalyst. Because one day, one of these guys is going to remember him before Pharaoh. And he's going to be called up to the court of Pharaoh in a second, in a minute. 
And so we've got to realize that sometimes those small things are the catalyst for the, the large capacity things that God wants to do. So, be faithful with the small. Be faithful with the small. Secondly, if you're taking note, notes, we've got to focus on the serving of others. Let's go back to the text. Pick it up, verse 5. Then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, had a dream. Both of them, each man's dream, in one night, and each man's dream with its own interpretation. And Joseph came into them in the morning and looked at them and saw that they were sad. So he asked Pharaoh's officers, who were with him in the custody of the Lord's house, saying, why do you look so sad today? And they said to him, we each have had a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. So Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, please. Then the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, Behold, in my dream a vine was before me, and in the vine were three branches, and it was as though it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. Then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Now within three days, Pharaoh will lift, you, lift up your head and restore you to your place. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner when you were his butler. But remember me when it is well with you and please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For indeed I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews and have also have done nothing here that they should put me into the dungeon. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said to Joseph, I also was in my dream, and there were three white baskets on my head. In the uppermost basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, and the birds ate them out of the basket on my head. So Joseph answered and said, this is the interpretation of it. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat your flesh from you. We've got to be, if we're going to be someone that God can use, we've got to be focused on the serving of others. We're going to be used by God to minister, to serve. We must, we must focus on serving others, ministering to others. We must, we must be paying attention uh, to what's going on. We must be there, ready to serve, ready to minister, ready to listen, ready to pray, whatever is needed. And this is what Joseph did. These guys had a dream and they woke up and Joseph went into them and the text here tells us that he saw that they were sad. That's, 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 that's a key verse there. It, it's, it tells us that he saw that they were sad And he asked them, why are you sad, right? He was observant, he was focused, he was, he was ministering to them. And because he was ministering to them, serving them, he saw that they were, were sad, and he says, hey, why are you sad? He could have been, you know, when you look at Joseph, he could have just come in, okay, well, you know, what am I here to do, you know? Clean your sheets or clean your, what, you know, whatever, give me your dirty laundry, or whatever it was that he was doing, right, you know? It's like a maid service or something. I don't know what he was doing in there. But he, he noticed that they were sad. And, and, you know, and if anybody could have been sad, 
It was Joseph. Here he was sold by his brothers, out of his country, sold into Potiphar's house, then wrongfully framed, and now he's in the dungeon. If anybody could have been sad, it could have been him. If anybody could have not been noticing anybody else's sadness, but focusing on his own sadness, it, it could have been him. And no one would have even faulted him. No one here would even fault Joseph for being focused on his own sadness. But here he's ministering to others and he's focused on serving others. And so he notices their sadness. Not only could he have been wallowing in his own sadness, but he could have been wallowing in something worse than sadness. You say, what's that? Anger and bitterness. You say, worse than sadness? Yes. Because if you go from sadness to anger and then to bitterness, that is a, is a road that is a very sour road that you're on. Because bitterness, anger and bitterness will literally eat you alive from the inside out and destroy you. It will destroy your spirit. It will destroy your mind. It will destroy your emotions. And if you let the devil have the victory in your life, you are going to be messed up by anger and bitterness. And it probably starts with focusing too much on your own sadness and not allowing the Lord to be that comforter to you and then you know, just kind of divulging into bitterness, anger, and bitterness. And the Bible talks about a root of bitterness, not letting a root of bitterness you know, grow up within you. you know, Just cut that off at the root. Don't let the root of bitterness to take root. And you know, you say, well, how do you not, how do you not let the root of bitterness take root? By receiving the grace and the mercy and the love of Jesus into your heart and truly receiving it and truly seeing what he wants to do in your situation. And you don't you may not even fully understand it, but there's but there's something that God wants to do in the place that you are. And it's, this is a part of the amazing story of Joseph, right? That he didn't have anger and bitterness. In fact, as we fast forward to the end of the story, you know, he has this amazing statement that he makes to his brothers, right? You meant this for harm. But God in, intended this for good and for the salvation. And so... Really, Joseph just has this perspective that we really need to emulate. Uh, David Gusick actually says this about uh, Joseph in his commentary. He says, this is a window into the heart of Joseph. Men who are consumed with anger and bitterness do not often take a concern for the personal problems of others like this. And so really, when you look at the heart of Joseph... This actually kind of tells you, look, wow, this guy has, he had an amazing heart. He really did have an amazing, amazing heart. Some people are so focused on themselves and all their problems that they cannot be used by God to minister and use their gifts for, for his kingdom. And maybe it's somebody who has been used by God, but then something happens and then they're not able to be used by God. 
Or maybe things don't turn out the way that you thought they were going to turn out, and then that stops you from being able to be used by God because then you continue to focus. It's always, it's always a temptation. The temptation is always there to focus on your problems to the degree that it paralyzes you from literally moving on in God and being used by God. And, and, and it's not that even in some circumstances, again, with Joseph, we would have not probably faulted him. And there are situations maybe that you've had in your life, we wouldn't necessarily fault you, you know? But the point is that you don't want to stay there. And the way of staying there is focusing on your sadness, letting it become anger and bitterness. The way out is receiving the grace of God. And maybe focusing on others. Focusing on others. I have found it in my own life at times of facing tremendous things in my own personal life that God has always, it's like always, it's like a, it, it seems to me like a challenge. That like, you know, I'm presented with all these other things. All things going on in all these other people's lives. And it's as if God is saying, hey, Charles, I know that you, this thing you got, you're facing. And, you know, trust me with that. Meanwhile, you're on the phone with this person right now. And I want you to speak my word to them right now. I want you to encourage them. It's, it's not about your thing right now. What you need to do is you need to be my mouthpiece to them right now and encourage them. I've literally been on the phone with friends and been, you know, having this thing, this dialogue going on in my head. And I'm going, okay, God, I got it. And I literally have just chosen. And I'm not saying, I'm not giving this as an example because I always chose the right, you know, in the moment. I, yes, God, I hear you. And now I'm doing it. And I'm like super Christian. No, I'm just saying. <laughs> That, you know, learning how to recognize the voice of God and saying, you know what, I've got that choice right now to be that person, to be that person of justice and the, and the, the, the avenue uh, and the conduit of God's love and grace and mercy to flow into this person's life and to be that person that God wants to use. Because that, pers because that person that you're talking to right now, they need encouragement. They need somebody to interpret their dreams. They need somebody to, to minister to them. They need somebody to listen to their situation. Right now, right now, right now, this second is when that needs to happen. And you've got a very small window of time to, to recognize it and to choose that. And that's just something where We've got to be focused. Joseph interjected himself into the situation. He says, well, he's thinking, well, I had some dreams, <laughs> right? These guys had some dreams. Well, why do you look so sad? Well, we had dreams, and there's nobody to interpret them. Well, hey, I had some dreams. In fact, I think my dreams are part of what got me into this whole mess. <laughs> Maybe I can, no, no. He says, look, God, God has the interpretation of the dream. And so he says, tell me your dream. 
And of course, the butler tells him his dream, and he's got the, you know, the wine, the three vines, and the, the, he presses the, the grapes into the, into the cup, and he hands Pharaoh his, his, his cup, and he says, you know, the, 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 the three vines of the three days, and in three days, you will be back put in that place where you are the butler of Pharaoh again. And by the way, this is the interpretation, and when it all comes to pass, don't forget about me. Because I'm here, and this is my whole story, and I, I don't deserve to be in this dungeon. And the baker, the baker says, there's three, you know, three days represented, and, and, and they're eating the bread out of the birds come and eat the bread out of the hat, Right? What's this? Well, it's three days, and three days you're going to be... <laughs> Decapitated, and they're going to hang you on a tree and let the birds come and eat your flesh, okay? This is where, yeah, this is where it divulges into, you know. So this was the dream. So, you know, and... But this is the place where, you know... Joseph was to minister in that moment, and he recognized it. And then lastly tonight, you, you, you need to remember that you might, it might appear to you that you're forgotten about by man, but God hasn't forgotten you. Amen? Let's go back to the text, pick it up, verse 20. Now it came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants. And he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. And then he restored the chief butler to his butlership again. And he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker. And as Joseph had interpreted them, yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. So basically, the interpretations of the dreams turned out to be right on. He was right on the money right? The cupbearer was turned to his post serving Pharaoh. The baker was hanged. And, you know, if you, I mentioned earlier that the, there were some commentators that had suggested that there probably, that there could have been uh, possibly a conspiracy in some way. And maybe the conspiracy, maybe they did the thorough investigation and found out that the baker was the guy and the butler, you, you weren't a part of the whole deal. And so the butler so this is how, you know, you're, you're, you're three days, you're back to serving as the, as the butler, baker, you're not so, not so good for you, <laughs> right? So the cupbearer, so the cupbearer gets back to that place where he's back handing Pharaoh his wine, right? And the text tells us that he forgot about Joseph when he returned to Pharaoh's service. The man, for, he forgot about Joseph. Man, don't you, don't you, I mean, Joseph wished he could have sent him a text. <laughs> hey, I hear you're back up with Pharaoh. Just don't forget about me. I'm the guy down here in the dungeon that interpreted your dream. Or, you know, Facebook Messenger or something, you know, he could have gotten in touch with. Nope, he was forgotten about. The, the butler forgot about um, forgot about it. Just was out of his mind. Just forgot about it. And I think that there's a great point here. Is that when you're ministering and when you're serving, 
it can appear that no one notices. And everyone just overlooks, forgets, and just, it's just not of a concern to anyone. But the reality is, and we know this, that God is the one that has his eye upon us, amen, that he always sees us, that we're always there. He, he never leaves us or forsakes us. He never forgets. He never forgets us. And not only does he not forget, but he has a plan. And because we've been forgotten doesn't mean that God's plan has ceased to be in process. It doesn't mean, look, we think it does. We think, well, how certainly this happened and Butler guy is going to remember me and that's my ticket out of here. But he forgot about it. And when that happens to us, it's like, well, how? Well, certainly that was the angle. Certainly that was the way that, that God was going to keep things moving along. But God is moving things along. He's always working on our behalf for our good, for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Amen? Man forgot about Joseph, but God had not forgotten him. God still had a, God still had a plan. God still had an awesome plan that he was in process of bringing about in Joseph's life that was, it's gonna, it is an awesome, awesome salvation. Now let me wrap this up as we go to a close with just another personal story, I guess. I had a situation that was similar to in my life, in, in my own life, in my calling, in the ministry, and it was back when, this was many, many years ago now, uh, when I, I was in a, a, the denomination that I grew up in in my family. And uh, I had gone to Bible college and I got gone out and had been a youth pastor at a couple locations, one in New York and one in Virginia. And then we reached the point where we felt like God was calling us to start a church. And we had actually gotten involved with the church, helping another church get started. Uh, and so that was part of just, you know, learning, a, a learning process for us. But then there, there came that time when we felt like, you know, God was, you know, moving things forward. And I was actually in California for a week taking a, a class at Talbot Theological Seminary in La Mirada, California. And it was through this class, this class that I was out there taking, it was through this class that God spoke to me that I'm Calvary Chapel. <laughs> okay? Because the class was actually taught by a guy named Gary McIntosh, and it was about models of church ministry. In the first part of the class, he got into all these technical definitions of churches, mostly um, church classifications down throughout history, uh, especially after the Reformation, dealing with um, reaching people groups and language groups, and that even flows into the early American churches that were generally started to reach certain people groups. So you had like the 
you know, the, 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 the Lutheran, the German Lutheran churches, and you had the Swedish, you know, Baptist churches, and so on and so forth, right? That would reach, you know, depending upon what part of the country. Then, fast forward, it got into areas, you know, mo- modern models of ministry. So, we spent some time looking at Saddleback, Rick Warren, Saddleback Church, spent some time looking at the, the you know, the seeker movement with Bill Hybels and the Willow Creek thing. One day, we got back from lunch, and the professor says, hey, I want to show you guys one more thing. And he pops in this VHS tape of a two-hour documentary about Calvary Chapel and Chuck Smith. And I sat there for two hours, and I'm just going, you know, I wasn't really doing that. But like, you know, I'm looking at this video, and I'm just thinking to myself, this is what I want to be a part of. And the Lord was just speaking to me. And I don't even know, I guess I had a cell phone. I think this, this was like 90, 99. So I, th- I think I did have a cell phone. I remember coming out of the, co- after the video was done, I remember leaving the classroom, walking down the stairs, calling Mary Jo on the phone and saying, guess what? We're Calvary Chapel. <laughs> and, and she was like, really? Great, you know? And uh, so anyways, I came back to Florida and I went and set up a meeting with a Calvary Chapel pastor who will remain unnamed. And, um, and so I went and had this meeting with him. And, uh, and to be honest with you, the meeting was a complete discouragement. We left the office, the meeting, Mary Jo, and myself, and Trey in a, in a little carrier, because I remember I carried him in. <laughs> and left the meeting totally discouraged. Got back to the house thinking, wait a second. It was, it was crystal clear to me when I was sitting there in that classroom at Talbot. But now, it doesn't seem so clear. Maybe God is doing something that we're we're not aware of. So then we thought, well, maybe God wants us, we totally love the Calvary Chapel ministry. Maybe he wants us to stay in our denomination and kind of bring like a Calvary Chapel flavor into that denomination and do a a, a thing. We're like, yeah, that, that that sounds like a possibility, right? So we went into the district office and filled out our paperwork to do a church plant in with the, with the denomination. And uh, I'm almost done. <laughs> so some time went on, and we were talking about where we were going to do the, this church plant, and the district was throwing out some ideas and different things, and we were looking at Orlando and different places. And, um, and so anyways... Something, you know, things weren't moving along. And so I remember thinking, you know, well, what's going on? This should be, we should be moving on. I, we, we, we've, got, we've got to get, get on with the program here, right? So I took the day off work and I drove over to the district office to go check on what's going on with, you know, just the whole church plant and everything in this very particular way that it all had to be done with this denomination, right? And, uh, and they looked at me and they said, uh, you know what? We lost your paperwork. 
what? You lost our paperwork? I mean, you don't have it in a filing cabinet back there somewhere? You're not working on this? I mean, I'm waiting for you to call me and say everything's good. Everything's a go. Let's go. What? You lost? No, I didn't. I didn't say And so they said, can you fill it out again? They handed it back to me. I'm like, what? I don't even remember. Maybe Mary Jo remembers. I don't remember refilling out the paperwork. Maybe we did. But I remember we got out to the car, and we were like, God, what's going on? What is going on? And we were sitting there in the parking lot in the district office, and we called Mary Jo's cousin, who was the bass player in the worship band at Calvary Chapel, Merritt Island. And we said, his name is Ray, awesome brother and family. We said, Ray, here's the situation. How do you become a Calvary Chapel? <laughs> He's like, I don't know, but I'll talk to Malcolm tomorrow. It's Wednesday night is tomorrow, and I'll talk to him. I said, great. If you'll do that for me, that'd be wonderful. Hung up. Before we left the parking lot, before we pulled out, Ray called back and said, I just talked to Pastor Malcolm. There's a meeting tomorrow with all the pastors, and he wants you to come. And no, on Thursday. This was Tuesday. So in 48 hours from that, I was in a meeting with all the senior pastors of Calvary Chapel of Florida. And the rest is history. We've started two Calvary chapels, and uh, I say all that to say, look, man may forget about you. Man may forget about you and misplace your paperwork, but God hasn't forgotten, and God is moving the process along because he has a plan for your life, and he wants to use you, and he wants you to... Focus on the small, be faithful in the small, focus on serving others, and don't forget that God has remembered you and is going to bring about his plan as you're involved in his purpose and your kingdom.